0: Well, good morning, First Free. How is everyone today? It is Sunday, which means it's snow day here. And, uh, and of course, somewhere around this area, they're saying maybe. And, uh, and I'm praying, <laughs> may the snow clear and may the spring happen, other than, as in, in Nathan said, one day of spring and one day of summer. And my fear is that next week it'll be 100 and we will have bypassed the whole spring thing. Um, after watching that video, I'm just, I'm just so excited for our baptism next week. And I, I hope if you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized that you'll sign up. We would love to celebrate uh, and shout to the world that Jesus is Lord. And I also am so excited for Abby and Allie who were part of that video. And, and um, I'll throw this plug in because I can and, and because I'm up here. Um, we have had our high school summer camp online sign-ups going on for 12 days, and we have three of our five buses full. And so, if you're a high schooler, sign up. Sign up for our summer camp that was pivotal in, in Allie's life. Well, I'm so glad to be here this morning. We're going to continue in Mark chapter 10. We're starting in verse 32 and will be working to verse 45, and, and this morning I want to give away where I'm going. Normally you don't do this, but I want to, I want to give it to you. I want to let you know where this is all heading and what I'm trying to communicate. So here it is. This is what I've been praying for, working toward, and hoping for for this morning. I want you to see a glimpse of what God is like. I want you to see a glimpse of what God is like. When I was a young guy, I didn't want anything to do with church, with God. With, with anything that had to do with what I perceived as religion, even though now I know that, that following Jesus is very different than just a religion. Um, but I didn't want anything to, to do with God. And when the circumstances of, of my life unraveled and I got a glimpse of who God was, it changed me. It changed me, and I realized how amazing God was. And so this morning I want you to see a glimpse of What God is like also. So let me pray. Father, I ask that you would help us this morning. And me as I'm standing up and trying to communicate what you're like, that's really an impossible task. But God, I ask that you through your spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I was growing up, my family loved to play board games. I remember playing games like Candyland, Life, Clue, Shoots and Ladders. You remember that one? Battleship, Scrabble, Mousetrap, Yahtzee. My grandmother told, taught me how to play Go Fish, one of my favorites. Chess, Checkers, Trivial Pursuit, etc. But as I got to be about 12 or 13 years old, I began to strongly dislike board games. And I want to tell you why. Uh, it's very simple. I always lost. <laughs> always lost. And it was so frustrating to me that, that I just didn't want to play. And, and actually, I enjoyed being outside a lot more, being active and being in the sunshine and doing sports and different activities. I was drawn to that. Sitting in a chair, being patient, concentrating, and losing was not my flavor of joy. But there was a little more going on than, than just that. You see, I had a younger brother who was two years younger, and he had photographic memory. And he would do dumb things like sit in the bathroom with the trivial pursuit cards and read them. <laughs> and then we'd play the game, and he knew all the answers. And I would lose again. And so I had this disdain for board games until one day when I discovered Monopoly. (laughs) In Monopoly, somehow I figured out that with a little common sense and planning, I could easily win. I entered the game with a plan. The plan was to bankrupt every other player of my family to buy as much property as I could, as quickly as I could, to buy as many houses and stick them on that property, to trade those houses for hotels, and humble and humiliate my family after two hours of this horrible process together. (laughs) It was such a joy. (laughs) And soon, no one in my family wanted to play Monopoly. And I couldn't figure out why. They're such poor losers. (laughs) Well, isn't it interesting how as young people, we pick up on things that our culture teaches us, even in our own family? Um, One of the great lessons that I learned that it appears to be much more fun, joyous, enjoyable to win than it is to lose. And if you can gloat in winning, that's even better, especially at the demise of all the family members who, who have won every game all your life. I'm not bitter or anything about that. I could never have articulated that to you as a young guy, but that's definitely how I felt. And even to this day, I hate losing. And I try to set myself up so that the chances of losing are slim in, in life happenings. If I could put it another way, I learned to train myself to take care of number one. That's me. I learned to use strategy to further my causes. I learned to, uh, to set things up so that things uh, around me would work out better. Again, I never would have been able to explain that to you as a guy, young guy, but those were some of the things that I was learning and that culture that I grew up in was helping me to begin to, uh, to shape who I was on the inside. And I wonder if any of you can relate to, to some, of, some of the thing, same things. We learn from our culture at a young age that our sense of self-worth is based upon our success, how we look, the approval of others, how much money we have, our performance, the cars that we drive, etc., etc., etc. We raise celebrities and sports stars to the, the prominence of many gods, and we dream of being in, in their place, just like they are, not because of their character necessarily, but because of how they perform. We drive ourselves to achieve through different interests and specialties, uh, things that we be- seem to, to begin to uh, show some, some skill at. Uh, we work at to get better and better and better, and then we get judged by our accolades through, through our grades, through our ACT scores or SAT scores, through the colleges we end up going or getting accepted to or attending, through eventual jobs that we have, Through our living situations. These are the things that that the world teaches us are the signs of having it together. And we often give God whatever is left over. Doesn't matter if you're a grade school student or a junior higher, if you're a high school student, if you're in college if you're a single person, a young person, an old person, a professional, a mom or dad, or a grandparent, we all feel this tension that tugs on us to look out for number one, don't we? Which is exactly where I want us to be this morning as we enter into Mark chapter 10 because it kind of sets the stage for us to see the contrast of what God is like and what we are like. So my first point this morning is this. And we'll find out as we get into this, it's Jesus heads toward Jerusalem to show us what God is like. Jesus heads toward Jerusalem to show us what God is like. Verse 32 in, in Mark 10. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with Fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise Again, And so through the previous chapters in Mark, Jesus has been working his way from the Sea of Galilee, the Capernaum area, and now he's in Jericho. And we find, we find ourselves this morning in the text, there's a picture of, of the map where Jesus and his disciples and a group of following are working from Jericho on the right side of the map up to Jerusalem on the, on the left side of the map there. It's about a 3,000 foot elevation gain. If you've ever hiked, that's a nice hike. Not only that, it's over 20 miles long uphill. It's a rugged hike, and Jesus is leading the way. They're following him. The disciples and these others are following. Some are filled with awe. Some are filled with fear, and they, and they seem to have the sense of being overwhelmed with what is happening. The last time they were in Jerusalem, there was trouble brewing with Jesus. There were a group of people that wanted him arrested, that wanted to end his life to kill him, and now Jesus is leading the way and taking them back. And this is the third time in Mark that Jesus begins to explain to the disciples what is going to happen. And each time he gives a little more detail Till this time, the third time, he gives a lot of specifics of about what is going to happen as they get to Jerusalem. He says... The Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers. And he doesn't tell these 12 who's going to betray him and that actually one of the 12 is going to be one of the betrayers or the betrayer. He doesn't say that. He just says, we're heading up. I'm going to be betrayed. The religious leaders are going to sentence Jesus to die and to hand him over to the Romans. And and this would be a scary thing for anyone in that day who understood the Iron hand of the Romans. And, they, and then Jesus tells them that the Romans are going to mock him, they're going to spit on him, they're going to flog him with a whip, and they're going to kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. And so Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem to begin to show this group what God is like, to help them to get a glimpse of what God is like and what God is doing. My second point this morning is this. James and John are going to give us a glimpse of what we are like, what humans are like, what people are like. And it's a big contrast to what Jesus is revealing to us that God is like. Let's continue in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come over came over and spoke to Jesus. "Teacher," they said, "we want you to do us a favor." "What is your request?" Jesus asked. They replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. James and John, part of the inner circle that was closest to Jesus, the other was Peter who they left out in this instance, and they come with this ask to Jesus, teacher, we have a request. We want you to do us a favor. And what's crazy is this request comes right on the heels of Jesus tell him, telling them where what's going to happen as they head up to Jerusalem. <laughs> Jesus is talking about how he's going to be betrayed, how the religious leaders are going to sell him out to the Romans and how he is going to be beat, spit on crucified. And the next conversation from James and John, the two, two of the three closest to Jesus, is about, hey, we'd like you to do us a favor. Let us have the most important seats on your right and on your left when you enter glory. It seems like they just didn't get it, doesn't it? This seems, it seems crazy, and they, and they didn't get it. Let's continue on, verse 38. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? And listen to their response. Oh yeah, we're able. And Jesus must have just shook his head And he tells them, oh, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right and on my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. So, Jesus lays it out for these guys. You don't have a clue what you're asking. Jesus is heading toward this cup of suffering and a baptism of his death And he's talking about a symbolic cup here and a symbolic baptism, but it was going to be a very real cup of suffering and a very real baptism of death. And James and John, in the midst of this, didn't get everything wrong. At least they were following Jesus. At least they recognized him as the Messiah who had come to save the world. And at least they recognized that he's heading to his glory and they wanted to be there when that all happened. But they didn't realize that the road to this glory would lead through suffering, death, Jesus' resurrection. They somehow are missing, missing these words. James and John wanted the two most honored seats on Jesus' right and left. They wanted prestige. They wanted power. They wanted position. They were bold enough to come to Jesus and ask it. So James and John give us a glimpse into the heart of people, of humans, ourselves. And it's a very big contrast between what Jesus is like. And the irony of it all is that ultimately when Jesus did enter his glory, there was someone on his right and on his left. You remember who that was? It wasn't James and John. It was two thieves who were crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew that James and John didn't want that. That isn't what they were asking for. And so Jesus says, you guys don't have a clue what you're asking for here. He makes, Jesus makes it clear that that decision on who sits on his right and on his left, that's that's not my decision. That's the father's decision. It's not for me, Jesus, to decide. And imagine how Peter felt when he eventually found out that these guys had done this. Peter, his first thought was, dang, I wish I'd have thought of that. that. That's probably more of what happened, but you have to imagine, I mean, the word gets to Peter. Somebody hears about James, what James and John did, and they come, and they snitch, and they tell the story to Peter and the others. And can you imagine the, the frustration they must have felt, what they, what they felt toward James and John? Another interesting thing is is. James and John actually did learn about a cup of suffering and they did learn about losing their lives for Jesus. James was the first of the disciples to be martyred as a Jesus follower. Herod had him executed with a sword. And John was arrested for being a follower and leader of the early Christians and and he miraculously survived at least one attempt to kill him by the authorities. And eventually he was thrown on a lonely island called Patmos where Jesus visited him and gave him a revelation of the last days. And we know that as the book of Revelation, the last book in our, in our New Testament. And so there's this contrast between James and John and Jesus, which brings me to my third and final point this morning. It's this. Jesus reveals to us what God is really like. And here it is. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus is about to reveal to these people and to us what God is really like. Starting in verse 41. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus calls them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life as ransom for many." So these guys are furious with James and John. (laughs) They're furious. And so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world, and an anger fest breaks out among his closest followers, his disciples. And so Jesus acts quickly, quickly, pulls them aside for a lesson. It's lesson time. A lesson on what God's economy looks like. A lesson on what their future is going to look like if they're going to follow him. First, Jesus calls out what leadership looks like to humans. Remember, these guys had been under Roman law. They had been under this this iron fist of the Romans, and it was a scary thing. Leadership in human ruler form looks like people in positions of authority lording their authority over others. Leadership in human, human ruler form looks like officials flaunting carelessly their authority over those who are underneath them. Leadership in the human world has people in authority who them, see themselves as higher, more important, of more worth, and more valuable than those they rule over. Leadership in human form looks like people willing to do anything to win at monopoly, even at the expense of others. And that's what James and John had just asked for. And that's what human leadership looks like. It's self-centered. It's turned inward. It's looking out for number one. And then Jesus, Jesus lays it out and he gives them a glimpse into what God's kingdom looks like. And in so doing, Jesus gives us a glimpse of what God is like. He opens their eyes and he opens ours. And here's what he says, among you, this will be different. He doesn't say, hey, pay attention. He says, among you, this will be different. You 12, it will be different among you. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And I imagine he looked right in their eyes and said, do you guys get this? Do you see this? And Jesus took humanity and he turned it upside down and said, God is not like that. This is what God's like. This isn't the first time that Jesus was teaching, had taught these disciples these principles. Months ago, I spoke here on a Sunday morning out of of an earlier chapter in Mark, and I titled my message, Dear Younger Me. If you remember, Peter tried to talk Jesus out of suffering. He tried to talk him out of being killed. And Jesus responded with these words, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your own life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. This is what God does. This is what God is like. This path to Jerusalem that Jesus is leading is leading them to suffering, to leading Jesus to suffering, to death and his resurrection. And it was Jesus' plan all along. This wasn't a mistake. This wasn't something that, that just accidentally happened. It was God's plan from the beginning. He came to serve and to save us. Jesus shares with his disciples what it looks like even for himself when he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served. He came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to be served. He came to serve others, to give his life in ransom for many. This is what God is like. And you find this throughout the Bible. We could, we could take days and have a conference on what is God like and we could show you scripture after scripture where this comes out. Let me give you one example that Paul gave out of the book of Philippians in in chapter 2. Here's what Paul said. He said, "You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had." And what was that attitude? Well, here it is. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being and when he appeared in human form he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. We learn what Jesus is or what God is like when we look at Jesus. We learn what God is like when we look at Jesus who came from God to earth to give himself as a ransom for us. He, Jesus, shows us what God is truly like. He shows us graciousness he shows us what it means to look out for the needs of others before your own he is the one who was willing to sacrifice himself to open up the door for men and women to be in a right relationship with God it's our dogma you remember that word it's the gospel it's the good news it's amazing grace from God to us When I was a ninth grader and I stood over the casket of my friend, Darren, and looked into this casket at him lying there. And I knew that that he had been killed as he was walking to my house to pick up a bicycle that I had borrowed under some not-so-smart circumstances. Uh, I knew I had at least a part in in the responsibility of, of my friend's death. And it's a hard thing for a young man to, to wrestle with. And when God showed me His love and grace in the midst of that trauma, when God showed me who He was, I went from someone who I wanted nothing to do with God to being so thankful for Jesus. When I understood that I didn't deserve God's presence, but that He had substituted my mess, my sin, and ultimately my death, and had taken the hit for me so that I wouldn't have to, when I saw that, when I got a glimpse of God's love for me, when I didn't deserve any of it, I was humbled. I knew that God valued me enough that he would take my sin upon himself. And that was when I first appreciated who God was. To that point, I just didn't get it. But when I got a glimpse of who God was, I wanted to be right next to him. And I have ever since. I wanted to be near God. I wanted to know him. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to learn from him. And God turned my heart. But it wasn't until I got a glimpse of how amazing his grace was. And I knew I didn't deserve any of it but I knew that God had valued me and had shown me that I was important to him. And God loves and values you also. So let me try to to pull this together in a way that that maybe will bring some pieces together for you. Think back to when you were a, a young man or a young woman, when you were growing up. Who are the people in your life that you looked up to the most? As a young man or young woman, who are the people that you had a relationship with that you looked up to the most, who you were drawn to? Maybe it was a parent or or a teacher or a coach or someone from your church or some, some adult that just took some interest in you. Who did you look up to? For me, the people that I looked up to the most were were people who showed me that they cared for me. They went out of their way to show me value, to show me that I mattered, not because I had special talent, because that wasn't the scenario that brought it about, but just because they seemed to be loving and caring and interested in me. I think of a teacher, Mr. Cox, he used to joke with me, and, and instead of cutting me down for not working hard in his class, he called me to be better. He, he challenged me to, to do better in a joking way. He showed that he cared. He went out of his way to, uh, to love on me and to help me to be better than, than I was performing or, or appeared to be. I think of um, a coach who called out greatness in me and challenged me to be a state champion and encouraged me when, when if you'd have followed me around you would never have thought that I had that potential but this man, Mr. Sullivan showed love and care and invested in me and gave me a vision for, for where I could go in the game of golf I think of Ken Nip, who took me under his wings and began to meet with me weekly to help me grow as a Jesus follower even though I was an insecure and a selfish little high school snot I think of Jeff Childs, who was willing to love me as a messed-up ninth grader, who looked past my thaws and befriended me and shared Jesus with me. Those are my heroes. And the reason they are my heroes is that they went over and above to serve me, to value me, to help me, to invest in me. I knew that, that I was valuable to them for some reason. Not for what they could get from me, that wasn't what I had to offer, but just because they cared. It was who they were, and I was attracted to them for that reason, and I still am. They're my heroes. They were different than other people. Well, who are your heroes? And what was it that draw, drew you to them? Most likely it was because somehow, in some way, they showed you that you were valuable also that you had value in their eyes. I mean, we all long to be loved. We love to be cherished. We, we long to be cherished. We long to be held. We have this longing to be in the game, to matter, to feel like we're important. We all have this longing to belong and to connect. And somehow you're growing up hero, fulfilled meeting one or more of those criteria, and it's what endeared you to them. So, have you ever wondered what God is like? Look at Jesus and you will see what God is like. For Jesus taught, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve others and give his life as ransom for many. Jesus loved us as we could have cared less, Jesus cherished us enough to allow himself to be killed so that we would be free from death. And not only that, so that we could live forever in his presence. Jesus saw us as important, important enough that he would leave heaven to take God's wrath upon himself instead of allowing us to take the hit. Jesus shows us that we belong to him. That a relationship with him, being connected to him, is so important that he would go through brutal torture, death by crucifixion, to take our sin upon himself so that God the Father's righteous wrath would be paid. That's the ransom. That's what God is like. That's amazing grace. That's what we've heard about, amazing grace for years and years and years. That's your God. Do you understand that this is the kind of leadership that Jesus is teaching his disciples? This is what he was calling them to, and this is what he's also calling us to. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, to give his life as a ransom for many. And when we follow Jesus, that's what we're called to look like also. It's a very different image than James and John and the posture they took. It's a very different image than Monopoly, at least my version of it. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we jump on board? How do we live like Jesus? How do we, how do we serve like Jesus? Well, first of all, True reality is that we can't. We can't, at least in our own power and our own strength. We need to be filled with God's Spirit. We must confess our sinful nature to God. That sinful nature that's in us that pulls us toward being self centered to put number one first. That's what we have to confess to God. Forgive me, God, for making myself the God of my life. I confess. My selfish, sinful nature. And we must submit our lives to Jesus, give our life's ownership back to God, surrender ourselves to His lordship, His leadership. Jesus told us to daily take up our cross and follow Him. And here's the good news that we find as Peter taught in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Here's what he said He said, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And Peter says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In our own strength and power, we tend to turn inward. But when we are filled with God's spirit, we look like God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit of God means you have God's spirit in you, which would lead you to look more and more like Jesus. That's the glimpse of what God is like. And that's way better than winning a silly game of Monopoly. So now that you have just a little glimpse of what God is like, how do you respond? I know that in this room there are some of you who are ducking God. Maybe the reason you're ducking God is because you don't think he's worth following. And my guess is you've made that decision because you have a view of God that's not accurate. God is not someone who lives like humans who, who has the self-interest where he clubs you if you don't live up to his standards. He's actually come not to be served, but to serve you and to give his life as a ransom for you. And so if you're here this morning, and I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward and the, the band to come, come back out as I close this. If you're here this morning, and Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, Oh, I, I ask you to consider who God really is. And I ask you to respond. I ask you to respond. We have some people down here who would love to pray with you. And I ask you to come and just say, I, I, I need Jesus. And let them walk you through that, that process. And if you've already made Jesus your Lord and your Savior, I, I have to ask you, how are you doing How are you doing at modeling what Jesus has modeled? Serving others, laying your life down, considering others more important than yourself. Ask God to help you, to confess you, or confess your weakness to him, and and our prayer team would love to pray for you also. Imagine, imagine what it would be like this week if just everyone in this room went into our world And everyone that we met, we valued them like Jesus values us. Imagine how our world would be different. So Lord, we give you this and we ask that you, Lord, would help us to respond to you. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of who you are. And Lord, we're so excited to be in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.